You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Good evening. I'm Tracy Diamond, the Adult Services Coordinator at the Enoch Pratt Free Library, and thank you for joining us at Maryland State Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, and welcome to Writers Live. We're so thrilled you're here tonight and can't wait to see you again, so we'd love it if next time you brought a new friend. Tonight, we're thrilled to have Adelaide Books authors Heather Rounds and Matthew Azuki. They'll both read for a bit, have a Q&A, and then there will be time to mingle and buy books. First, we're going to have Matthew read. He was born in Olney, a small town in Maryland, where he and his family still reside. He is the author of Views and Haikus, The Seeker, The Lion Kicks, and My Castle, recently published by Adelaide Books. Writing poems is Matthew's passion, and his work consists of a spiritual, romantic, and motivational nature. You can hear it in lines like, but I heard your letters, I felt your pages. I answered the call to serve the ageless. Please welcome Matthew. All right. How you guys doing? Uh, Thanks for coming out. Um, You know, I um, started writing poetry about three years ago um, when... You know, I guess, you know, I lost a friend, actually. He took his own life. So, you know, I was dealing with all these feelings and dealing with all these things. I, I didn't really I didn't really have anyone to talk to at the time because, you know, as you grow up, friends go different ways and, you know, people go different ways and, you know, people move away and stuff. So uh, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to write it down. I'm going to write down whatever comes into my head. Just these lines, you know, came into my head and... Um, you know, saw things, felt things, and I decided to write them down and, you know, wrote a couple books out of them. So I've been really grateful to just uh, share my words uh, here and, you know, like on Instagram and social media, I just like putting my stuff out there. And I like to put my poems out late at night because I find like that's when people are lonely or sad or thinking too much. And so I try to put my poems out then because, you know, then I can do that and I go to sleep and, you know, I like to wake up and see that people liked it or, you know, enjoyed it. Um, you know, cause we all, uh, feel things, but sometimes it's hard to talk about them and writing helps me do that. Um, you know, so, okay. So this is my castle. Um, I wrote this two years ago. I wrote this like two years ago and, um, I wrote it because I had written several other books, self-published, and you know, you know, little little bit of traction, but not really. And I was like, you know, I think I'm. Um, it's amazing with poetry how your style changes, and you read other poets, and, and your your style might change a little bit, and um, how you just watch your poetry kind of evolve. You know, like I feel like with um, writing novels, which I've tried to do, I've gotten like a quarter of the way through. I feel like, you know, for the most part, um, you know, each author has a certain style of writing, you know, and you can see that in in each of their books. But I feel like poetry, when I look at the first book, um, I sound completely different than when I read, you know, this one or The Lion Kicks, which have come out more recently. So I love the fact that um, 
poetry, I feel like the poetry really evolves, and I love that about it. So I wrote it like two years ago because I was like, you know, I think I'm being a little too direct. I think poetry should be more subjective. You know, I think that's what makes it so beautiful is that the reader can can um, get their own meaning out of it. And I feel like that's once I once I started doing that, I feel like my poetry sounded a lot better. So, um, so this is my castle. Uh, I wrote it two years ago, and the dedication. Um, for my queen, I will wait, I will love, I will chase, I will run to you. So that's just kind of about me. For a long time, I was kind of a control freak. Like, I had to control everything in my life. And I feel like um, we really don't, we really can't control anything. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to write what's in my heart. And I'm just going to live and go until I get to wherever life wants me to be. So there's my dedication there. Or maybe I just couldn't think of somebody to dedicate it to. That's why I wrote it. I don't know. I couldn't tell you now. I just made that up. Uh, All right. So the first poem. I can't believe it. We're drifting apart. My best friend and I swimming in scars. So that is about... um, I have friends who, you know, the most... I feel like, you know, things are always going to happen to us in life. But um, it's all about how we react to them. And I noticed some of my friends who we, we had similar negative experiences, like that loss of that one friend. And I feel like we kind of reacted to them in different ways, you know? And I feel like, um, though that was traumatic for both of us, you know, you kind of see how different people deal with things differently. Anger led me to my own destruction. It is not the way. A lesson I remember all too well. A loss of sight a regression of minds, a slow degeneration of an angry boy, still looking for warmth in his mother. So that speaks to um, me being like a young man. And even though I'm, I'm perceived as a man, you know, capable, you know, has a full-time job, you know, has gone to school, whatever, like I still feel like that same scared kid playing on the playground, like afraid of what people will like think of him you know it's like you grow up but it's still you you know so it's like you grow up and it's like you know it doesn't matter how old you get like you know you're always going to have insecurities and you're always going to um you know just feel like that little kid sometimes no in real life it's different that kind of love doesn't exist i'll sit in my castle and enjoy the fantasy um that's just about, um, you know, love in, in real life versus what you see in the movies or TV. So um, while love is still beautiful, it's, it's different than what a lot of people expect. And I feel like that's why a lot of people give up on love because they, um, they go for that fantasy, you know, but it's something else. And, you know, this first half of the book is called My Castle. And the second half of the book is called My Kingdom. And the first half of the book is actually... Um, supposed to be darker and more reflective. So reflective. So the character is um, it's medieval themed, and he is held up in his castle while his men kind of are defending the castle. So this represents the inner feelings, you know, the inner conflict with, within the um, man or or woman. And the second half of the book, My Kingdom, is now he's kind of figured out who he is and um, the, the kind of person he is, and, and now he's ready to. Um, go forward even with his, all of his flaws and all of his insecurities. So that's also why this first half that we're reading from is a little bit, uh, you know, more introspective. 
I'm kind of watching from the outside. I remember when we said that we'd never get older. The smiles have faded as the winds grow colder. So as the winds grow colder, so just the older you get, you, you can get a little. It's important not to be too um, cynical, you know, because I, I feel that, you know. It's like every year it's just, you know, people um, hurt you more or you go through more things. And so it's important to try to, um, you know, keep your head up. You are my teacher. I learn from your classes. I speak with two voices. I am your ashes. You are my light in a sea of darkness. You came into my space when life was its hardest. To the sky, a message I send. To you, with love, my three best friends. The fingers that lock, the hands that grip, of infinite love and infinite kiss. Um, so I really found my spirituality in a time where, uh, you know, things were really rough. And that's kind of what that's about, is that intimate uh, relationship that you have um, inside. He used to lie. He used to run away and cry. He used to deny and justify, chain smoke and lust, giving up on love. Then a light, a face he awoke. New ideas arose. A new symphony composed, a web of words turned into a rose. So you know, out of a lot of uh, dark, dark stuff or dark things, I, I feel like I was able to um, voice that and, and turn it into something kind of beautiful, which is this book. Let's do it again. That was the best dream ever. I could have that same vision forever. The dream when we were back together again. You ever have those moments where you wish you could some way like spin the earth back on its axis to, to maybe redo something? And that's kind of what I was feeling. I remember I was walking home this beautiful night in, in like the, I guess, summer or spring. And I was thinking, you know, just, just really reflecting. I'm like, man, if I, how cool would that be if you could just wake up to a certain moment if there's a certain moment in your life that you'd like to just wake up again and and just like in the movies like make a different decision you know like that would like I, I would have loved that um, I, I was thinking about a girl of course uh, where a lot of my poetry comes from and I was just thinking like there was one moment like six or seven years ago that I would have loved to just wake up and maybe try to do it differently doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work out but that would be so cool if you could if you could do that. So, um, they said I wasn't happy. I don't know if that's true. And I'll be suicidal again if it means being with you once more. So this is where we see the characters start to get a little bit more uh, determination. So this kind of goes back to that medieval theme and, and the guy hiding in his castle. Um, so it's time to go on offense, tossing out all fear. I must do what is right regardless of the consequence. We must stand for something. I will not keep silent. I will not die for nothing. So even in the midst of his um, depression, sadness, anguish, you know, he's kind of clenching that fist, you know, kind of, uh, he's going to find a way to get through it. It's natural to forget. It's difficult to see. It is easy to deny. It's harder to believe. Dreams, the one we had as seeds of the earth, 
so many times I feel like people, um, the older they get, they they lose the best parts of them. You know, people always tell you to grow up, forget that dream that you had, forget that thing you wanted to do. Um, you know, because that's that's for kids. You know, and I think that you can grow up in the sense that you uh, take care of your responsibilities and you prioritize things more, but. Um, you know, you never have to lose sight of, of the things that that little kid always wanted, you know, to, to write that book, to be an astronaut, to be an actress, to be, you know, whatever. You can always, you can always do those things. So that's, that's, what, that, that's what that one's all about. Turn a man of dirt into a shining star. Give me a clear mind and a sound heart. Make the light shine into pure dark. Let me turn the words into your art. So that's about, I felt like um, at the time I was writing this, I felt like I wasn't a good person leading up to this. Um, I felt like a lot of the experiences I had uh, leading up to this book, you know, definitely changed that, you know, and, and I don't know if that was just um, divine, in, divine intervention, uh, emotional maturity, um, but either way, I felt like I didn't really deserve these poems. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm, I was starting to gain that confidence in myself. Like, wow, these are some, some beautiful things and, that I'm writing. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I deserve these. You know, but I will um, write and um, hope that other people find the beauty in them as well. So, Instead of being jealous, fall in love with your skin. Instead of having rage, learn what happiness is. So go on any social media platform and you see everyone trying to outdo each other. But it's like as a human being, like when I see someone successful, um, like earlier we were talking about Rupi Kaur, right, who's a, a legend, a legendary writer. And I was, um, it's like, you know, just as a human being, it's like we have to try to um, be happy for each other. You know, it's like, you know, how would you feel if you made it? to a certain level, you know, you'd want people to, to be happy for you. It's like instead of bashing or trying to outdo, it's like just be happy with what you're doing and look at someone else and say, wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, good for them. You know, and it's like just be happy with what you have, you know. So, because we oftentimes have what's already most important. You know, uh, whether it's a friend, family member, whatever, we have what's already meaningful. And um, but we're always looking for something else for some reason. Everything I write is for the three that inspired me. It's for the three that hired me, for the tree that desired me. Mystics and potions, wisdom and notions, love and devotions over the lands and the oceans. Um, so I was raised Catholic, and I still resonate with that faith, um, with the Christian faith, and, and that's kind of what that's about is, um, I guess I couldn't believe that I had this talent. I couldn't believe that I, I could write poetry and I was like this has to be from something else and um, so that's what that's about because I found so much beauty um, and love from that and, and that's actually a lot of my inspiration I enjoy the chilling quiet the sounds of the dark the blankness of pitch all alone in my heart life is easier here on this hidden beach not even a pin drop an island of peace so, even though sometimes being alone can be scary, um, there's a certain peace to it. You know, I love those moments where you just, you, maybe you're driving in the car, maybe you're just laying in bed, where your mind is just blank. 
right? You know, because we all have anxiety. We all have things, you know, going through our minds. So it's like I love when you just have that moment where it's just nothing. And it's just clear for a second. It's like I, I found uh, a lot of beauty in that. And I talk about that again. The blue water, the white sands. Not a creature in sight, just time in my hands. No work, no plans, just a blank mind, a blue sky. I hope this is how it ends. Not a death could sound more peaceful than that. Hopefully I get that. It hasn't happened yet. I'll sit back and dream. I'll imagine what you'll look like and what we could be together. So I guess I'm definitely romantic, as you can probably tell. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's kind of fun to, it's fun to dream about everything. You know what I mean? About what you're going to do next, who you're going to be with. You know, it's fun. I love that. I love the, the beauty of like what could be, you know, and, and uh, what you want. The blades of grass, the butterflies on my back. The black night sky for one more time. We'll laugh, my love. Let's fall in love for a while. When you just connect with somebody, you know, it's just effortless. It just happens. You know, that conversation could be a friend, could be a romantic partner, but when you just effortlessly communicate with someone and it's like you just know, you know, there's something special there. So it's just, it's just magic. They don't believe in my mind. They don't see in these hands. I need something transcendent to engrave my name in these sands. And I think that speaks to the human need to uh, leave a legacy. You know, we all want to feel important in some way. Without my rage, I don't know what to do. A man fueled by pain, the war that was you. Getting over someone in any respect can be tough. But we're kind of seeing our character on page 50 there, kind of, kind of start to get his confidence back a little bit. So this one's for my mom. If I get another day, the view won't be the same. I'll look at you deeper. I'll make sure you're okay. I hope to God we have time. I hope to God you can stay, mom. When you look at someone and you, uh, you just appreciate them more, you know, you just, we get so caught up in what we're doing next and the next thing, but it's like when you just stop for a second, you're like, I have this person right now in front of me. Let me just squeeze every drop of juice out of that. Let me just remember what's important, you know, right now. By the way, thank you all so much for coming and listening to me. So... Listen to me be really into myself. I really appreciate it. So thank you very much. I'm thinking of giving in again. I'm thinking of hanging it up, hanging myself because the climb is too tough. I don't know where my spark went or where my star is. I've never felt so hopeless, not a man, so broken. Man, this moment uh, when you just completely uh, lose that motivation to do whatever it is you were going to do. 
you know that's uh, you know it's always it's always so much fun to start a project you know you always you're like yeah that's that's gonna be fun that's gonna be great that's gonna and then like I don't know about any other artist I can only speak for myself but I, I sometimes reach this point where I'm like are people gonna like this like is this a is this a good thing like am I am I doing the right thing or am I just am I losing it you know like am I going crazy and um, so just those moments of where you're just like really second guessing yourself and just giving up and um, so yeah It's not your fault. I used to be happy until I destroyed it. I destroyed it. I ruined her. Uh, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. And when we're toxic to ourselves and the people around us, um, it's really tough. Because you have to live with whatever decisions you make. I decided to enjoy my life. I abandoned my quest for fame. See, I made a mistake. I thought that that was the only way to be interesting. When it was then I realized that the audience means finishing. Right here, with you guys, on Instagram, how you affect people. I took theater in college and uh, my professor said, uh, you know, don't, don't think about being the next big thing. Think about how you affect people. That's the, that's the most valuable uh, currency that you have here, how you touch people, you know, with your words, with your actions, with, with your poetry, uh, with your story. Um, that's, that's far more valuable, is, is the connections we make and, and how we affect other people in, in, in various moments of our life. That is what it's all about. That's what life's all about. So I realized that when I wrote that. Don't rush through. Don't forget what made it happen. Don't miss the in-between. Don't miss all the magic. I always focus on what I'm gonna do next. Check that box, check that box, check that box. Um, but it's like, I just need to be more in the present. I need to be more in the present. Yeah, that's fine for some. You can have some like that. Some for the stars and the trophies, the women and castles made of platinum. But give some other to the people. Some without purpose or motive, some for love, some for wisdom, where the beauty lies, the magical kingdom. And the magical kingdom is the, are these words. Your home is elsewhere. Go find it. Go discover. Life awaits. Fates pull. The speckles in a bottle. The sands of time. This grand design of most, it's mine. I decide that it's my time. I decide that I can fly. So you really get that confidence back. That moment when you really realize that you can do whatever it is you've set your mind to. And that's... Um, such a, a beautiful moment of human strength in anybody and whatever, um, whatever it is you do or want to do.
Tonight, I break free. I took her abuse. I held myself back for the little one. I put so much effort into everyone. I made every step. I made every single effort to make it better. I got nothing in return. What else did I expect? Now the world will see what I can do. It's my turn. They will kneel with passage to golden from ashes. I remember the light. I remember the kiss. I remember the day I'm using the gifts. I remember the night you stole the words from my lips. A burning image of hope, remembering eclipse. All right, so that's a little taste of my castle. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to that. Thank you for sharing, Matthew. Um, so next, we're going to have Heather Rounds. Heather's the author of the novella She Named Him Michael and the novel There. Her poetry and short works of fiction have appeared in numerous publications, including Pank, Big Lux, Moklong Quarterly, and Atticus Review. Her latest work, The Light There Is to Find, occurs in one week as a privileged outsider attempts to understand the traumas of another culture while trying to undo the traumas of her own personal history. As Rounds writes while the main character paints, it was one thing to paint a building, but another to take on time and space. Please welcome Kelly. Hi. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Tracy, for having me. Thanks, Matthew, for joining me. Um, uh, I, I'm just going to read a little bit from the beginning, opening pages. Um, Sarah is a, the protagonist. She's a painter, and she decided after a health scare that she was going to up and go to Armenia for a week to paint this particular building that she's seen, which is... Um, and uh, chaos ensues, but... Let me read just a little bit from the first chapter. Washington, D.C. to Yerevan, Armenia. After the Paris layover, a pastor from Sarasota, Florida, sitting across the aisle, told me everything he wanted me to know about Armenians. How beautiful they are, how smart and educated and jobless, how the men have hearts that give out by 55. The biggest problem with Armenians, he said, is nobody has money. They need so much and they have so little to give, and they have so much to give. It's tragic. The pastor told me he married an Armenian woman he met online, the granddaughter of a leader in the Azerbaijan war and former mayor of the town of Gyumri. I told him Gyumri was where I was headed, and he cocked his head to the side with quiet theatrics, then wrote an address on his cocktail napkin and handed it to me. When you go there, go talk to my wife's family over at Tolstoy number 24. I mean, that's what's so great, is you can. They'll take you in, no questions asked. The pastor told me how he sponsored an Armenian orphanage and periodically went back over to check in. In Sarasota, in addition to his church work, he ran a dry cleaners and kept a little bucket on the counter to collect money for surplus or supplies he sent back to the kids. At the orphanage, the ones who arrived with no surnames got a name that translates into son of bird. Makes more sense in their language, he said. His big advice, 
Don't be too quick to smile. Don't smile too fast like an American. You know how we are. They're going to be kind to you, but standoffish at first. They'll size you up. A young American woman traveling alone is rare. Let them take their time to sniff you out first, and then you'll see. They'll be your best friends. They'll break right open for you. He adjusted his neck pillow, closed his eyes. I'm surprised you would go, he said as, as he faded off. Strange choice for a vacation. A sliver of me wanted to say, yeah, I'm surprised too. I kept silent, though. Let his talking taper off. He'd lost me with the online wife thing, but regardless, I just wanted to be as alone as I'd left home to be. The plane jittered with the back and forth of mothers working to appease tugging children, square-jawed, gray-headed men in tweed coats, and hats stood in the aisle. The Armenian language fluttered over me, a collection of buoyant, undecipherable sounds massed together in the air like one collective conversation. Everyone seemed to know everyone else. Everyone seemed to have boarded together, and in four hours they would all pour out to the airport exit together, all glad to be home. I swallowed another Xanax and lifted the window shade to a gauzy sky, the land fading to patches of dry brown and gray rock thousands of feet below. Somewhere in the fuzz between wake and sleep, I waited to see where I would find myself. Call it a strange choice for a vacation, but I had intended to see the sun there and a building, one specific building with the sun hitting it, a building and a photograph that lived on the wall of Nareen's Armenian Bakery in Washington, D.C., a photograph I'd seen for years. I told myself, I just want to see the sun hitting that specific building, and I just wanted the sun hitting me as I stood next to that building, and I wanted to set up my easel and paint it as it happened. On that plane rushing away from my life, I told myself that my wants were a tidy and simple package. He hadn't asked for an explanation, but even if he had, I wouldn't have said any of that to the pastor from Sarasota, Florida. Other than telling Nareen, I hadn't explained anything to anyone. Other than her, nobody knew where I was headed. Nobody knew I was leaving. I thought, what's there to explain to a pastor from Sarasota, Florida? I turned to art early, committed myself in a half-assed way, growing up in Alamogordo, New Mexico. My family lived at the thinnest point of a thinning highway beyond a standard Air Force check checkpoint, bright, too bright, and the nights the days too bright and the nights of flat purple. When he was home from mysterious flights in his F-15, my father would doodle with pencil and paper. He'd sit on the porch or in his favorite chair in the living room and make characters of my younger sister, Franny, and I, and occasionally my mother when she didn't demand that he stop. He'd encourage me to draw. He, needed, he never showed me technique. I was probably too young for that anyway, but he was good at supporting the act itself. By drawing things, you can make them, he told me once. He was drawing my toddler sister, who was playing in the yard in a sand pile. He gave her elongated horns, and I laughed. It's a power, it's power, he said, to freeze something, make it live forever the way you want it. Of course, this is the sort of thing you say to a five-year-old, to make it more, seem more mystical than it is, or just to keep them occupied. But it appealed to me, this practice, this idea of freezing something and carrying it away. You got the knack, my father had said. I had something, a skill he'd passed into my blood. After my father stopped being and my sister and mother and I carried on our lives in Maryland, I relied all the more on the skill in my blood. I decided early on that I wanted to be a painter. I preferred landscapes and unpopulated settings. I relied on color to make up the structures that fell in my path, 
familiar bridges, grassy acreage lining the city's gray, maybe some light twinkling on the surface of water in the night. On a handful of occasions, I sold what I made. But the money that came came rare, rarely, and so at 32 years old, I let my day job, that gray mass of hours spent in the windowless office, take up the bulk of my time. I wasn't much in the habit of making things live forever the way I wanted them to be. Before Armenia, when I daydreamed about what it might look like to run away without telling anyone, it looked something like pulling my car over on the way to work, hopping the highway guardrails, running through the dense evergreens, and finding a rolling pasture on the horizon that would swallow me whole. None of it ever looked like the queue of board cue for boarding a plane, anxiety medication, and credit card debt from flights and accommodations. I never daydreamed about the sort of experiment and movement, but then there are pivots sometimes. Things force you to look new directions, feel out new edges. It happened during the gray mass of hours in that windowless office when the architecture of my body failed and I tumbled down from my chair, stirring to confusion with a whale-sized cry. A bloom of red filled my eyes like that hot spot that takes over your vision when staring at the sun. Then the spot went from red to a violent white. Then came the tingling blackouts that came with a pain. Then the hard light over a hospital bed. I thought, this dark, this whiteness. I was the host of a rare disease. 32 years of abnormal development, the kind of tumor that sometimes is called homonucleus, the Latin term for the phrase little man. The doctor said, smiling, we call them that because they're all covered in hair, teeth, and nails, little monsters. The way I remember the doctor explaining it, I came from a womb composed of fragile cells, and from the beginning, the little man took to claiming my fragile cells as its own. Taking advantage of my weak terrain, it clutched up inside me and gradually organized itself over the course of my life. I was the terranium, the right ecosystem, the right blend of moisture, heat, and disease. Heat for disease. The little man and I were born together, but we grew at different paces into different beings. And as I took shape, as my limbs stretched and articulated, and I went about my life, the little man camped out in a crook of my fallopian tubes, quietly swelling and twisting, a fatty chunk in a dark corner, growing its own hair and teeth, a complete evolution. The little man first presented itself to me as a dull pressure on the side of my abdomen, then as a small ignored lump, and then eventually a rupture came from under my pelvis, and I knew I was not alone in myself. Then the little man, black, toothy, hairy, and gripping, that little man deep inside discovered by way of emergency, that little man suctioned out, complete resection, resection, yeah. Classified as a zero in the system of cancer staging, benign, a zero, incapable of metastasis. And I wrote this. <laughs> Staring down at me on the cold white bed, the doctor offered his most professional smile. I don't remember if it helped, but I understood that that's what it was designed to do. The structured, congratulatory smile doctors reserve for such moments of reporting non-fatality to patients, of announcing you live because you might not yet believe it. A doctor's professional smile followed several breaths later. Once it was clear, I had no further questions to ask. By the smile's slow fade and some words, we should tell you that you won't be able to conceive. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Heather. Um, so we're going to move into the question portion, um, and I wanted to kick it off with a question for both of you. Um, so you both write in such different styles. Matthew, you're writing concise poems about this artist's psyche. Heather, you're writing these 
this beautiful chilling prose that can kind of scare you, but it's still really exciting. Um, so I was wondering how you both approach the writing process. No, you're looking at me. Okay. Okay. You know, because I'm kind of a fan a little bit. Okay, uh, well, that's right. Because when you were talking about, um, uh, you know, uh, falling down and, and, the, um, and the headaches and the, uh-huh. you know, I felt like I was right there with you. You know what I mean? Like when you said you fell out of the chair, I felt like I was like right there with you as you're like going through that. Like, so I kind of want to hear how you approach your writing process well, first. Well, this particular book, process-wise, I, I actually went to Armenia. I took two trips to Armenia. I did um, field research there under the impression the first time I went that I was going to write a nonfiction book based on this particular town, Gilmery, which was where this earthquake happened in 85 that killed like 25,000 people and destroyed and, and still hasn't been rebuilt totally to this day. There's still 14,000 families that are without real residencies. That was like the first time in my life where I felt like I connected with an external trauma that was presented to me in the media and since then I I think now it's just it doesn't stop, right? It's just it's kind of constant. But that so I was very interested in going to this town and originally thought I would do this totally different project. So I worked with a journalist as a fixer and she helped me find people to interview and um, it wasn't until after my first trip there that I realized that I don't know how to write nonfiction. <laughs> so I was like, that's not gonna work. I just wanna lie about everything, make it my own. <laughs> so I, I, I decided to write a novel. Um, and much of what is in the book, like for example, okay, so I have a kid, I'm not, I, I never had this disease, but a lot of the external things that are happening to the character are actual things that happened to me, like this guy from Sarasota, Florida did give me this weird lecture in the airport on the way there. And so the, a lot of the minutia is stuff that actually happened in addition to um, the interviews and stuff kind of got woven into uh, the, the narrative as well. So. Um, I'd like to work process-wise off of real-life experience. Um, so that, that's that. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's just about, um, I feel like I spent so many years um, hiding what I was feeling. You know, because I think, especially as a guy, you know, that's what you're taught to do. You're taught to just kind of buck up and, um, and do that. So now it's, I'm, I'm kind of, made my life in a way where like, you know, I, I don't necessarily go to work and vent all my problems or what I'm feeling at the m- moment, but um, you know, if I'm going for a walk, uh, and I just, I, one of my favorite things to do is in the spring and summer in this area, it's so beautiful. You know, some nights I, there's nothing I love more than just a clear sky with stars shining, and there's nothing I love more than just having um, the peace of going outside, listening to some music, and um, just reflecting on my life or reflecting on something I want or um, what I hope, you know, just dreaming, just fantasy and whatever um, that fantasy is or whatever that reflection brings to my mind, whatever words then come, I just write them down, you know. We, we luckily we have smartphones, right, so we can just go into our notes and just write down whatever's in my head and um, once I get more than 150 of those, I'll maybe, you know, put a little book together or something. But that's what I do. I just write whatever's raw, whatever comes into my head. And, and inspiration is, is everywhere. 
you know, inspiration is everywhere but from, from a movie, from like a, a really beautiful moment in a movie with just the right music in the background or, um, you know, from a conversation with a friend at a coffee shop or, um, you know, obviously a lot of us that's romantic. So if I see, you know, a woman that I'm attracted to, um, you know, I'll just make up in my head a story of, and not even like a, not even in like a, in like a, in like a lustful way, you know, cause, uh, but just like a, and like a, maybe like a version of myself where I go talk to her and we fall in love and we have this whole story. I'll write a poem about that, about what I maybe wanted to happen with that woman. Or if, uh, if I just see a woman that's, that's, that's beautiful or, or that I'm attracted to, I just, you know, or that's smart, I just write a little something about her, like how she made me feel. Um, however those lines come into my head, I'll just write them down, you know, just put the pen to paper. So whatever's raw for me, whatever I'm feeling at that moment, I'm like, don't wait till later because there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, I'll write it down later. I'm like, write it down right now. If I see something in a movie, hear a song, see someone, have a conversation, write it down. Write it down right away before I forget. And uh, that's just what I do. Whatever pops into my head, I write it down. So um, I don't know if that's just a, a good poet or if I'm, uh, or if I'm crazy. But uh, I think this is a pretty healthy way to deal with it if I am. So that's what I do. I just write whatever's, whatever's in my heart, whatever's in my head. And I just let the stanzas just come into my head. I just write them as is, you know. Other questions? Well, since you're both published under Adelaide Books, I want to know how you found the press. Because there's this whole process to getting your book published that can be quite a journey. So I'd love to hear how you both found them. I found them on poets and I use poets and writers a lot to find contests or presses. You? Yeah, sometimes I look. <laughs> sometimes I look on the contest ones to see if I can win some money. Yeah. You know, because there's there's some where it's like you know you can enter for like twenty bucks and mm -hmm. win like five grand. You know, um, Adelaide though I don't know how I found out about those guys. I wrote my castle because a lot of the independent stuff I put out just just wasn't happening. Just nobody cared. So I was like, okay, you know what? Let me write some more subjective poetry. Um, and I wrote it and I sent it out to a bunch of people. And I said, this is it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just I'm gonna put everything I have in this book. And uh, I just looked up, I just Google searched like poetry publishers, you know, because for a long time I was just sending it out to big publishers. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I just sent it to whoever was a publisher. And they were like, wait, this is, this is great. Like I like what you're saying, this is beautiful, but we just don't publish poetry. Poetry is kind of tough because a lot of people don't want it, you know, because, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a niche, you know, thing. You know, like a lot of people, um, you know, like I feel like, uh, Poets love other poets, and, and there's certain people who appreciate poetry, but I feel like the masses, not so much. You know, I feel like everyone kind of wants the next Hunger Games or the next Harry Potter, and so poetry, I feel like it's kind of tossed to the side a little bit, even though it's, um, even though it just, uh, a good poem can just hit, hit your soul, you know, just hit something inside. Um, so I just sent it to poetry publishers, I sent it to a bunch, just as many as I could, and uh, six months went by, no one said a word, and, and then uh, I just get this email, um, from Stephen, Stephen Nikolic, and he was like, hey, you know, um, so I'm Stephen Nikolic of Adelaide Books, you know, you know, uh, publisher in New York, um, I would like to see the rest of this, you know, because I guess I sent him a sample, like five poems or something, and I was like freaking out, you know, I was like freaking out, and I, I sent him, uh, I didn't even know if I still had the, the whole manuscript, because like no, you know, I didn't think it was, anything was going to happen, and I think I found it somewhere, I found the PDF, sent it to him, and, uh, and, he, just, and he was like, I want to, I want to run with this, so. Yeah. 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 So, similar. Um, 
I know you took the photo on your book cover. Mm -hmm. Where did the, the image? I don't know who made that. Oh, okay. But it's beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. it, nice. it, it's it, it's like. Um, and it's got a similarity, obviously. I mean, the, the blue sky. Yeah, the, yeah, the, and that's the what I love shirt. is um, because I, I don't know like uh, where this like kind of new, found uh, not anxiety, but I didn't used to really care about lightning or thunder, and I actually get really freaked out now. I don't know what that is. So I have found in the last two or three years so much peace in a clear blue sky. And so when I look at that, I'm like, okay, you know, I hope someone finds peace when they read these poems and uh, kind of gets to hide away in this, in this book. And I, I love that clear blue sky. Thank you for saying that. For Heather, when you first started reading, you were trying to point to the building. Is that what you were talking about? Yes. So you designed that cover. You took. A I so when to I took the I took a lot of photos when I was there. Um, that sky's amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty impressive place. That I, I, it definitely fed into when I went back and was like, what am I really doing? This idea of being a visual artist and drawing from the the environment felt. Because I kept going back to the environment in my head, about, you know, in addition to going back to the people and their experiences, I was also really drawn to just the atmosphere. And um, so I had sent a few of the photos that I took to Nicholas um, or Stephen, rather, Stephen, and the editor, and he and I said, you know, just in case you're welcome to utilize these, or I have more, and then they ended up picking this particular one, which I was very happy about. I actually have one for you. Yes, sir. Um, so what was it about, you know, because I know we talk about, in your book, you talk about um, how this place really like, affected you and everything. Mm -hmm. Was it the event itself? Was it the loss of life? Was it like that you saw it at a certain age or something? Yeah, kind of, you know, like, I think I would, it was, like, I was, it was in the 80s, mm -hmm. and it was, I was living in Germany, and mm -hmm. so I think it got more attention there in the media than in the States, mm -hmm. but it, I think it was the age I was, and just, you know, I was like in early high school, and just coming to this sense of the world as a place beyond just what shit shows going it's on like inside of me. Of, yeah. there, there's this whole other world. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. It just it just somehow resonated. Um, and I, you know, I very much think about today, the, the media and, and how many of us are, have this really kind of weird relationship with, I mean, I have a really weird relationship with media and my utilization of my phone to absorb media and my right to work absorbing NPR and like what am I really getting and but there's so much that goes on beyond this like moment that we are, are given to hear or to see there's so many examples of places that are just not bouncing back from natural disasters or anything disaster so yeah I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does because um, some of the things you see today, like some of the, the tragedies or the, or the crimes, you know, like 
even if you're a world away, you can just feel the loss of life. Like you can just, you know what I mean? Like I, some of these things that are in the news and stuff, you hear it, I'm just like, man, like why? But it's a weird like, way that we feel, feel it. But, it, but it's, a, it's a weird way that we're feeling it, right? I mean, to me, it's like I don't really feel it, but I do. Yeah. But yeah. it's removed, and I'm, and it's very artificial in a yes. lot of ways. Yes. And it's presented in this very artificial, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm articulating it very well my feeling with it because I grapple You're with it. You're a little dissociated, but at the same yeah. time, it's like, it just echoes. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it just echoes, and you're just like, man, like, I can feel the pain yeah. from a world away, so right. I just wanted to know, you know, because it's like, I've been fixed on certain places or events, so it's like, when, when I hear that with you, it's kind of like, you know, you want to know, like, what kept you there? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what kept you in the in this place? So, so you know, it's interesting. Well, thank you so much, thank Heather you. and Matthew, for sharing your work with us tonight. Um, both of their books are in the hallway for $15, so support your local writers. And thank you all for spending your evening with us. Have a great night. Thank, thank you so you. much. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.